0: Good morning and welcome to another alignment discussions, podcast broadcast from conscious creators. My name's Asher and I am a conscious creator and your leader for this morning. Our purpose as conscious creators is to fulfill fundamental human needs and guide others who have a desire and willingness to do the same. These fundamental needs include security, connection, community and intimacy, as well as communication, creative expression, sensation, progression, and reflection. The Conscious Creators process is outlined in the following set of measures. First, we acknowledge habit patterns that undermine our purpose. Then we gain awareness of those habit patterns that undermine our purpose. And we share the effects of supporting those habit patterns with another person. That completes the triad of awareness. Next, we move on to the triad of desire, which begins with the fourth measure of beginning to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. Then we move into accepting the possibility of new life-affirming experiences. And then we round out the triad of desire by choosing to bring our perspective, our attitude, and outlook into alignment with our primary purpose. And then next is the the triad of willingness. The triad of willingness begins by committing to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Next, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. And then we round out that final triad of willingness by consciously creating new life-affirming experiences. We meet regularly in order to cultivate a community based upon mutual fulfillment. We come together in a sincere and intentional space to help each other with the singleness of purpose that might otherwise be unavailable. The Way of the Conscious Creator is the perfect companion process for anyone engaged in therapy, healing modalities, 12-step work, and more. To expand on this, I'm going to read from our Attachment Addiction Handout. We view addiction as a type of attachment disorder. Survivors of trauma and neglect have trouble establishing and maintaining healthy bonds. Having inadequate tools to address our lack of connection, we often forego intimate bonds and attach to things instead. These rituals of self-soothing become our habitual patterns. We define attachment addiction as a habitual dependence on a mechanism in order to compensate for a lack of connection. Alcohol, sex, food, drugs, money, codependence, self-harm, social media, hoarding, anorexia, and perfectionism are just a few of the mechanisms we engage in habitually. The root cause of attachment addiction is not the drink, drug, or roll of the dice, but rather a hidden attachment to our ideas, narratives, and beliefs. The process of reconnection and wholeness can only begin by acknowledging our unknowing yet active investment in seeing ourselves as crazy sick or somehow broken. We are not crazy, sick, or broken. We simply support beliefs that make us feel like we are crazy, sick, or broken. Once we are able to see that, we can begin to address those self-defeating beliefs. Medicating these lies will never connect us to the truth. I'm also going to read uh, the Greater Power Than Self handout right here. So, A Greater Power Than Self. The consciousness of being is our direct connection to spiritual love and truth. It's very practical and accessible. It's beyond the man-made realms of right and wrong. It is neither a god that reigns in heaven nor a devil who reigns in hell. It is unaffected by fear, doubt, and conditioning. A greater power than self or a greater perspective than self avails us an expanded sort of spiritual awareness. It allows us to see through eyes of love rather than fear the merging or combining of parts into a whole is called integration when the consciousness of being and the consciousness of self are integrated a greater power or perspective comes into focus through this GPS, we access spiritual insights that help us to recognize and embrace opportunities for growth and expansion. This happens by sustaining an internal connection to what we are. The consciousness of being is what we are. The con- and I'm adding this, my, in my experience, the consciousness of being is my own direct extension of infinite spiritual love and truth within me. All right, and finally, I'm going to read about meditative mantras. Um, where is that meditative mantra handout? Uh, all right, right here. All right, so meditative mantras. This is the whole crux of of our process. This is the part that really helps us to connect to that consciousness of being within. It helps us to get back into alignment with infinite love and truth within us. And when we're on that spiritual surfboard, we're able to recognize fear and control for what it is. When And we, can, we don't need to attach to fearful thoughts. We don't need to control circumstances because we, we are actually in alignment and consciously connected to true power. And when we have power, we don't need control. A lack of power causes us to need control. All right, so finally, meditative mantras. People in active addiction struggle to establish a consistent connection to a greater power than self. After some addicts achieve physical sobriety, many find that their disruptive thought patterns create challenges. This diminishes the quality of their recovery and increases their chances of relapse. In order to sustain conscious contact with the greater power than self, recovering addicts will need to become responsible for the mental effects of past traumas. Our process helps to overcome those obstacles of long-term recovery. We practice meditative mantras to help the trauma-affected mind become open and receptive. Our mantras mitigate the effects of common survival patterns, much like chemotherapy can shrink cancer tumors, or medication can make a virus undetectable. This creates the mental space to reconnect with a greater power than self gradually over time. This helps many to overcome their intellectual resistance through a direct personal experience. And that last line's a little confusing for people. Uh, When we say this helps many to overcome their intellectual resistance through a direct personal experience, it's been my experience in Conscious Creators that I'm not being asked to believe in a greater power than self. I'm actually clearing away the mental debris and the corruption within my own mind so that I can have a direct personal experience with the greater power than self. And I can begin to cultivate a meaningful relationship with that part of me that's been buried under layers of ideas and narratives and beliefs and stories and all of this Reasons why and trying to figure it out and predict and control Once we get that out of the way and reconnect to that innocence within We can have a direct personal experience with the part of ourselves that a lot of us thought had died or abandoned us so now we're I'm gonna sit in meditative silence for a couple of minutes and allow for an insight to guide me on what it is that i'm I'm, we're going to cover in this um, alignment discussion um podcast so i'll be right back with you okay so today i got kind of in a uh i got steered to talk with you about the habit pattern the survival pattern of needing external validation from others Uh, another way to say that would be Seeking attention through acting out being overly concerned with the opinion of others being unable to handle rejection Seeking attention through self pity and more so that's one of the survival patterns that's plagued me in my path and my journey through life in this body Um, so the way this process works is really, really beautiful. So, first, I mean, it's hard up front. It's just like anything. It's like, whoa. The first couple of years of uh, parenting were so labor intensive and so jarring. I mean, for me personally, as my children have gotten older, I've undergone the necessary shift within my thinking and within my spirit. To fully accept, well, I wouldn't say fully accept, but I'd say receive and connect to and commit to the responsibility and the honor and the privilege and the, the, like, responsibility and commitment of being a father. And in the beginning the first few years, it was just jarring. It was, uh, in a way, traumatic. It wasn't traumatic to, in the sense of, like, someone's beating me or abusing me or hurting me, but it was traumatic to my old way of thinking. It was traumatic to a very self-centered part of myself, self-centered part of me, a part that only thought about me, and only thought about me to the extent of being narcissistic. Everything was about me. And then I had children presented to me, and I started to have to take care of them. And diaper by diaper, bottle by bottle, I was able to begin to get outside of myself and get outside of my thinking. And so what happens when you are – what happened for me – by being presented with the opportunity of fatherhood and then leaning into that and starting to embrace that and starting to connect to it and bond to it and commit to it and fully embrace it. I had to let go of a lot of thinking patterns and survival patterns that didn't serve me anymore. And so throughout that process and early parent parenting parenthood, I, I mean, I can remember taking a billion pictures and posting a billion pictures of my kids every time I was out with them somewhere. And in hindsight, I can almost see that those were cries for help. <laughs> I, I love my kids, and I was good with the girls when I was small. But inside of me, I was holding my breath and holding on for dear life. And I was very isolated, and I was very alone, and I was scared. And I just didn't know what was going on. And, uh, in that state of dysregulation and in that state of reactivity and in that state of fearfulness, now it wasn't happening all the time. I was definitely able to connect with and love my daughters in the moment, but the anticipation of those moments when I was going to pick up the kids or when we would be take i would be taking them somewhere to meet other parents or other things i was really self conscious i wasn't grounded in who i was i hadn't become who i am like parenthood really forced a lot of childlike thought patterns and just all kinds of thinking patterns to slowly just pass off the scene and in the beginning i was very much addicted to external validation i would post a bunch of pictures on facebook to make it look like i was just this amazing father with my two little kids i was flexing my kids hard (laughs) and part of that was i really needed that i needed my ego who had bailed on every intimate relation up to that point i needed my ego to buy into this I needed my ego to cooperate and to participate in this new opportunity for growth and expansion. Without my ego signing on and jumping in, there wasn't going to be any parenting experience. I know what that part of me is capable of when I don't fully acknowledge it and bring it into the creative process. It sabotaged many other opportunities for growth and expansion in the previous decades. So I had an intuitive sense of what I was up against. And I know I knew that I needed to work with that part of me. And one of the ways I worked with that part of me was to really be ego and and, and kind of. It was a really interesting integrating experience because there was definitely an awakening of the spirit and there was awakening of like this pater- like this paternal energy, this this the parenting energy that was awakening in me for nurturing and caring for something else. And I'd never had that before, not with a cat, not with a dog, not with a friend, not with a sibling, not with a parent. I just, uh, and there's no judgment in that. I just never had that activated in me. And so that was activating in me. And it was integrating with my ego identity. And there was a million pictures every time I went out and it was constantly like, Oh, here's uh, here's Asher with those babies again. And they're cute babies, boy. I'll tell you what, my higher power. It's like, I would have been <laughs> the saddest fool. You know, there's the, there's the, the Bible talks about people having great possessions And I think it was the foolish king or the foolish. There was a king who was so foolish because he had the whole world at his feet. And he had such a great possession. He wouldn't let go. And he couldn't embrace this gift that God was giving him. And I had such great possession coming into this experience. I was possessed by really negative beliefs and a self-defeating thought. Narrative, a narrative about myself, a story about myself and my past and my love and all this stuff. I was just stringing along a really sad, um, self-defeating story. And that all began to um, be challenged in a really, really uh, profound way. In early parenthood and I went through a lot of rocky up and down stuff but I did see as I moved through those experiences and I became more integrated and whole and more approaching my parenting opportunity from a place of spiritual love and truth as I began to actually grow that bond with my daughters as that became a genuine authentic bond that I had never had before with another human being That need, that compulsion to take all those selfies and post all that stuff on social media dissipated in direct proportion. So as my spirit awakened and integrated with my ego identity and I became whole and I became someone who was able, I became a father. I became a a paternal energy to these two living beings and I was able to get out of myself and start to see where other people were coming from and start to see how my actions or my inactions or my fear and my reactive mind was limiting the kinds of connections and experiences that I was available to having slowly. My awakening consciousness, this conscious awareness was showing me the futility of these thought thought patterns and absolutely one of the most devastating that I, and so here we go. So I'm just going to read the beginning of the first measure. And so I was acknowledging something. That had eluded me for quite some time. And so right in the beginning of the first measure, it says, our own umbilical cord is symbolic of the invisible connection between our soul and the massive spiritual resource that nurtures it. With the snip of the surgeon's scalpel and a breath of this world's dysfunctional air, we begin to accept madness as a substitution for truth. This creates an internal void of incompletion that leaves us susceptible to the trappings of attachment addiction. I read the attachment addiction handout at the beginning of this. So, as I became less connected to spiritual love and truth, as I learned my parents' distorted concept of love, I became incomplete internally. Okay, and I'm going to read the fearful love Actually, I'm going to read it from the new book. Small children have yet to learn about a type of love that is painful and ends in disappointment. They still have their inner connection to love or innocence that allows them to express love more freely and fully. The love that fearful adults share is conditioned. As children begin to experience this conception of love, they too begin to fear love. Fear keeps the presence of love in the future, never to be realized, or in the past, never to be felt again. The fearful mind of an unconscious creator views love as a possession or a destination. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that love has no agenda, no goal in mind. Love is a simple gift that we seldom take the time to give to ourselves or receive from others. The meaning that we attach to our experiences of lo- expressions of love shapes the sad story that our lives so often become. With every new chapter, we place yet another condition on love's expression. As we accept such conditions as truth, it becomes increasingly difficult to create authentic experiences. So I'm going to stop right there. It becomes increasingly difficult to create authentic experiences. And that's the crux of my thing. So posting a million selfies of me, I was definitely having authentic experiences with my babies when they were young. But I was also dissociated quite a bit and in fear and unable to be present and connect with them, too. So, I did the best I could. I didn't beat them or hurt them or whatever, but you know I you know it's uh, there's intense moments of connection and joy with them, sprinkled in with moments of dissociation, and then periods of addiction and absence um, sometimes I hid out in plain sight sometimes i it 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 it. I had learned that version of love that I just described to you there. That's what I grew up in. My parents were there. There was people providing for me, but it was the loving bond and the loving connection that nurturing energy as much as I can remember it, it wasn't available. And I say that in a way not, uh, and it's, I'm really grateful to be able to say that in a way that doesn't infer victimhood it doesn't infer that like anyone did anything wrong to me. I'm not There's it's not a loaded comment. It's just a fact of, of of the of my existence when I was young when I was small There were events that happened and I think it's important to explore those a little bit with you guys when you're a little kid when I was a little kid and then my father who. Wasn't able to even really be around babies. I mean, I would see that later and it gave me some solace. I would see him in a restaurant or a public situation where a kid would start crying or acting unruly and it would literally send him, he would spin out and he would, it just, he just couldn't tolerate it. So I can imagine. That gave me some solace. So it wasn't just me as a baby that he couldn't stand and needed to get away from. It was any small child spun him out. And so when I was a small child, you know, for whatever reason, he couldn't receive the gift of me being a father of me of of me me as a son fully. Or even he like when people when people say like they did the best they could, my father left and in a lot of ways that was the best he could do he didn't corrupt me with a lot of the same stuff that he was corrupted with that caused him to drink himself to death at 59. He he had the best he could do was it was show up he took me to Rehoboth Beach and uh in the summers I spent my summers like a month out in Rehoboth Beach in Delaware on the ocean I would learned how to sail I learned how to scuba dive. Uh, He took me to Super Bowls. He took me to Inaugural Balls. He took me to Key West. He took me deep sea fishing. He took me to, uh, you know, Disney World, Disneyland. He did a lot of the. took me up to the Redwood Forest. He took me to a lot of places and exposed me to a lot of things that I otherwise wouldn't even know existed. So I'm eternally grateful for that. And my mom, she stayed and she raised me and she was uh, my provider. She provided for me. She had to figure out how to retrain herself and get a job in the workforce and work full time and figure out a way to take care of not even two-year-old child, like a really small toddler and a a 10-year-old daughter who was at that point pretty angry and bitter. And so and she had a mortgage. she had overhead. She didn't have any financial help. She didn't have a lot of the pieces in place like I have today. And to a greater or lesser extent, it just overwhelmed her. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a father, so I could put myself in that situation, and I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been for her. And I'm really grateful that she stayed with me. You know what I mean? That she did get sober and she did keep trying. And she, you know, that she did marry Bob and that Bob came in and provided so much. Bob is my stepdad, but provided a lot of stability. No, he wasn't available to me in like a, a fatherly way, but, you know, he allowed, he brought stability to our family. He brought a paternal presence into our lives. To a greater or lesser extent, he did kind of what um, my kid's mom's partner did with my daughters. In a way, I recreated that same abandonment, but I stayed. I couldn't receive my kid's mom. I couldn't receive her. Uh, It was just too much. But I took the kids on, and I just focused on taking care of my children on my days And I let her figure out what she needed to do. And I'm eternally grateful for the person that I ended up moving in with, my roommate, and her partner. I mean, (laughs) the universe, my higher power, her higher power, provided both of us with amazing people. I mean, her husband's incredible. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful that my children have that kind of a presence with their mother at that house. And I'm eternally grateful to my roommate that I've been with for 10 years because she provided a very stable environment while I went through some profound changes over the last 10 years. And ironically, both of those people, it's funny, both of those people have the same birthday. They're both born on July 2nd. How crazy is that? You know, so and they're they're angels in their own right so we're re- really grateful I'm really grateful for both of them <clears throat> but the reading on fearful love is really important because when I got when in early fatherhood I was very much programmed and hardwired to support and love in the way that my parents had loved, or love in like a trauma bonding, or a fearful way, or a, a way of like a, a fearful someone's going to leave me, or someone's not going to accept me, or someone's going to be erratic, and um, it was like a it was like a insecure attachment kind of love, and so that was what I was programmed to share. And I'll just say right now, I was presented with those two beautiful souls my daughters i was presented with an opportunity to remember love's true nature i was presented with an opportunity also to condition them in a similar way that i'd been conditioned you know a lot of times what happens when a baby's born and brought into the world you know with the snip of the surgeon's scalpel and a breath of this world's dysfunctional air Parents begin to project their madness upon a child rather as a substitution for, spirit, for loving and nurturing them. So, they don't mean to do it. Life's moving fast. Mortgages need to be paid. Cars need to, car payments need to be made. Food needs to be on the table. We need to survive. And when there's just a single mom or a single dad who's juggling all those plates in the air and they have to do all those things for a child needs get unmet feelings get hurt things get misunderstood children create narratives and stories about themselves and the world and it's a subtle and persistent type of trauma that we have accepted just as part of the human condition for for a long long time you know for better or worse it's like if we're if we don't have awareness of other options that are available to us we're going to hurt ourselves we're going to hunker down and we're going to be a single parent we're not going to go hmm i wonder if there's other single parents who are also struggling i wonder if we could start a village and get a community going where there's like three or four of us and you know we all help each other and we support each other and we grow together and we you know we cr- we provide we bring that balance and that stability to our experiences and we commit to one another in a way that uh, because we all have, we all share that, that's the, the bond, we all share the same wound and we all share the same vision, that shared vision of fulfillment. Well, we all see that these fundamental needs for love and intimacy and creative expression and community, all those kind of needs that we talk about in conscious creators are absolutely essential. And we support each other in fulfilling those needs from a place of understanding because we all share that wound of the human condition. We all were conditioned by the previous generations to love in a certain way and to survive in a specific way. And those patterns of survival, we have the conscious awareness in 2021 to see that those patterns of survival are inadequate and they're keeping us from fully expressing love in ways that are really meaningful and important to us. So people from my mom's, when I was a child, that generation didn't have that awareness. That wasn't an option. It's barely an option now. You know what I mean? I think it's really, really important that things be physically demonstrated here on earth. Um, And there needs to be a demonstration that needs to be modeled for people to be able to come and see it and understand it and see how it functions. And there's people that need to kind of sign up for that and decide and commit to growing through that experience because a lot of stuff comes up when we have to work with other people. It's very easy to work for a person. Enslavement comes really natural to us Normal normal folk we can work for someone or someone can work for us but working with others with not for Is a profound challenge and it requires a complete readjustment and altering of our patterns of thought and thinking in action So I Have traded in this pattern because so I only have like 10 minutes this pattern of needing external validation from others within the context of this experience has become a pattern of gaining my sense of self-worth from an internal connection to collective consciousness. So when I say collective consciousness, my higher power, my greater power than self is When I pray to it, I say, you know, collective consciousness, I pray to you today. I pray to God, being, and self. Yeah, I pray to myself. I pray to all angels and gurus and saints and deities, past, present, and future. I pray that you help me to continue to gain my sense of self-worth from a personal Connection from uh, for continue to gain my sense of self worth from our shared connection. So, the over- overriding possibility I commit to create instead of needing the external validation from others, I become curious to new. Um, I become after I gain awareness of it, and I share the effects. So I basically I acknowledge I have a habit pattern that doesn't serve me, which is I no longer wish to gain my sense of self worth from external. Uh, validation, okay. And I showed you why I got into that a little bit. I I gained awareness of this habit pattern. I was able to see it from a spiritual perspective and see its futility. And uh, and then I go on uh, and I shared it with you. And that was you know basically the culmination of the awareness. It wasn't done in the exact process in the book, but I'm just kind of tying I'm tying it in for you now. And then I said, you know what? Instead of all that. I would, I'm curious about what it would be like to gain that same sense of self-worth from an internal con- spiritual connection rather than external validation. And so after that, what I do is I go through and I say, all right, that's a possibility I would like to create. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say this possibility mantra for the next month. I accept the possibility of gaining my sense of self-worth from a personal connection to collective consciousness. And I would say that line three times. Then I would say this line three times. I accept that gaining my sense of self-worth from a personal connection to collective consciousness is now possible for me. I would say that the next line three times. I accept that I can now gain my sense of self-worth from a personal connection to collective consciousness. And then this is the contrasting mantra. This is the one that brings them together. It says, I used to do this, but I just want to do this moving forward. And in my experience, this mantra is very important because this is the one that gives me power. This is the one that builds in the power of choice within my consciousness. So when I encounter the involuntary reaction and need to gain external validation, I can recognize it in a moment and override it with... and recommit to gaining my sense of self-worth from an internal connection to spirit. So I just love gaining my sense of self-worth from collective consciousness rather than seeking external validation from others. So after I do those possibility mantras for a few months, then, I mean, sorry, sorry, for a month, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my alignment mantras now. And the alignment mantras are so beautiful. They've been such a blessing for me. Nothing's changed me more than these mantras. And so the alignment mantra for this is, for, you know, we're, we're bringing the I statements in. This is where we're integrating the self, the consciousness of self, with the consciousness of being. So I just love gaining my sense of self-worth from a personal connection to collective consciousness. You say that three times. Then you say this three times. I choose to continue gaining my sense of self-worth. From a personal connection to collective consciousness. And then you say this three times. I am continuing to gain my sense of self-worth from a personal connection to collective consciousness. All right, and then you're going to bring the higher power, the greater power than itself into it. So I say collective consciousness, I pray to you today. I pray to God, being, and self. I pray to all angels and gurus and saints and deities, past, present, and future. I pray that you help me to continue to gain my sense of self-worth from our shared spiritual connection. You say that three times. And then the next line you'd say is collective consciousness. Please help me to maintain the conscious awareness and vibrational integrity that's essential to continuing to gain my sense of self-worth. From our shared connection. Conscious awareness is an awareness that comes from the consciousness of being. It's spiritual awareness. It allows us to see our thoughts and actions objectively. Okay? We can see patterns. We can see these patterns of behavior as patterns of behavior rather than aspects of who we are. So conscious awareness is essential, as is a consistent vibrational integrity. So we're vibrating at a certain, uh, we have a certain vibrational frequency, and we want to maintain that. And we want to live in our own authentic vibrational integrity so we can attract and recognize opportunities for growth and expansion. When we're constantly fluctuating and going back and forth, like when I'm constantly needing external validation or I'm needing external mechanisms to regulate my 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 inner void of incompletion, when those things happen, I'm completely uh, out of my waveform. I'm off my spiritual surfboard. And, um, I'm an inadequate instrument of life force expression. So, and then the final one, I'm just going to thank collective consciousness so much. Thank you, God. Thank you, being, thank you, self. Thank you, angels, gurus, saints, and deities. Thank you for helping me to continue to gain my sense of self-worth from our shared spiritual connection. And just to follow up, my children are eight and a half now, and I might post a picture of them every week or two weeks just when it when I'm moved to, but the more that I've taken it on and become their father and become bonded with them and become connected to life, the less I've been posting because I don't need that. I, it, it, you know, my internal connection my internal spiritual connection is I've reunified internally and spiritually. The, the, the compulsion to get external validation through posting pictures on social media has dissipated in direct proportion. So it's been really interesting to watch that because I, I was looking back through my timeline. I mean, I don't even have Internet on my phone. I, I, I've taken Facebook off my phone. Like I just don't want that in my life. I'm so interested in connection because the connection with others and with spirit is the only thing that's powerful enough to keep this attachment addiction that I struggle with in remission. So anyway, that's what I got. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, We'll have another broadcast, podcast, broadcast on Thursday and Wednesday. So hopefully you'll tune in for those as well. Thank you.